Hello, Hoopaholics. It's Coach Spins here from the Boxing One. It's a solo episode today. I'm doing my best Kid Cuddy impression and being Mr. Solo Dolo over here, trying to go through some film in the doldrums of August and break down really a, a fascinating team for me as we are moving into the college basketball season. The Colorado Buffaloes, an intriguing mix of returners, a new freshman, and a transfer portal big man who I think could really help them in whatever the uh, remaining vestiges of the Pac-12 are heading into this season. But uh, going to be a fun conversation. Cody Williams, certainly, you know, a prospect who is thought of really highly in a lot of different circles. Seems a potential top 10 pick in the 2024 draft. Younger brother of Oklahoma City Thunder player Jalen Williams. So there's going to be a lot of similarities that are always going to be drawn between those two in the kind of discourse, the mainstream conversation about Cody as a prospect. We'll debunk some of those similarities, maybe talk about how they either help or hinder Cody and becoming his own man, really becoming his own prospect, uh, but also about the necessity of all the pieces of Colorado really fitting together in that regard. And then we're, we're going to go at the very end and answer some of your questions. Been asking for a couple on Twitter. We are live here tonight in the Coach Spin studio. So uh, I call it the film room, whatever. But uh, any questions that you have, please throw those in the chat. I, I don't plan on being here incredibly long because, uh, you know, a one-man solo pod I don't think should go for more than about 25, 30 minutes. Bunch of film clips to really go over with, uh, with Cody Williams as well as Tristan De Silva, who's an intriguing upperclassman kind of shooting-based forward who I've seen start to pop up at the end of some first rounds on a couple mock drafts. And I think that's well-deserved. I think he's an interesting player, but the fit of all of them together is going to be really, really important for maximizing the potential of both and of this Colorado team this year. So I'm excited to dive in again, please interact with us here in the, uh, in the chat, throw some questions and comments in there. I know we've got some people who are following along and really excited for this episode as I am too, but I want to talk first and foremost just about the Colorado roster. And one thing that I, I think always gets underrated is Tad Boyle, the coach of this team. He's an unbelievable guy at identifying kind of uh, below radar talent and turning them into really impressive multiple year high major players. Uh, McKinley Wright, who's a point guard for them, kind of bouncing between the, the G League and the NBA the last couple of years, really won me over a couple draft cycles ago with his high IQ play ability to operate within ball screens. You know, Tyler Bay was another guy a few years ago who came out of Colorado and ended up being a, a pretty high early draft pick, somebody who was just athletic and knew how to defend. So Colorado always gets a little less love than it deserves in the national spotlight and attention. And finally getting this big five-star recruit and a guy like Cody Williams is hopefully going to change that. I'm really optimistic for the Buffaloes this year because of how really their four best players and pieces to me really are going to fit together. We'll talk about Cody as like a, a six foot nine, maybe six ten. I think that might be a little generous, but a really tall, lean guy who, who's a slasher, first and foremost, wants to have the ball in his hands, get in the lane and can make the right decision and is a really impactful finisher around the rim. So there's a lot to like about his game. But I think floor spacing is really going to be important for him. And that's where Tristan De Silva, who, you know, shot over 39% from three last year, 
KJ Simpson, who is a, a another point guard and incumbent starter for them. You know, he's a little bit smaller, did not have a very efficient year last year, but I believe averaged 16, four and four, uh, and has shown he can shoot the ball from deep. So maybe sliding him to an off ball role at times could bring the most out of this Colorado offense. Then I'm a big fan of Eddie, Eddie Lampkin, a big guy at TCU, not necessarily a huge pro prospect, undersized, really thick, not a huge vertical threat out of the pick and roll, but a smart, tough, gritty basketball player who makes winning plays. I thought he made TCU better when he was there. Uh, some, I don't want to call it drama necessarily, but uh, it wasn't the most ordinary of exits for Lampkin in leaving that TCU program. But I think the the staff at Colorado is a really strong one, really relationship driven. And that's evidenced by their ability to retain a lot of players uh, who, who end up leaving through the transfer portal and, and, and have multi-year guys at a time when that tends to be a little bit more rare in college basketball, particularly in a conference that is fleeting and for a program that hasn't been a consistent ticket puncher to the NCAA tournament, making deep runs to the Sweet 16. So let's just dive into the film here and, and start with a guy like Cody, because I think we can talk about athleticism all we want, but watching it on tape is really what ends up doing it justice. So we're going to go to the full screen here and I will start to rewind and, and slow down some things here, but really long, fluid athlete loves to play in transition. That's what's really stood out to me about his film. He's very comfortable with the ball in his hands, almost operating like a point guard. And, and this top-end speed, I mean, this is a ridiculous play in its own right, but he does a great job of all the little things. He pushes the ball out in front of him as a ball handler to try to create separation. He changes speeds and changes gears. He's comfortable speed dribbling to his right or to his left. I mean, I want to focus on the separation on this one clip here to go from half court, just straight line around his man, kind of dunking on the head of two of them with his left. Really important play. And again, as he starts to speed into his move right here, the lane is wide open. So all of those instincts that you are looking for from a guard and a handler, he not only gets to the rim, but he has that length and athletic burst to be able to finish above the rim in those spurts. That's another sick dunk and play right there where you can see his explosion and his separation off the bounce, just a quick jab and go two bounces. And he's dunking on a couple guys. The athleticism with Cody is very real. Again, the, the lane is open. He's going to refuse. He's going to have one quick move and in and out dribble, some sort of a jab and go crossover. And he's just going to go around his man and finish at the bucket. So when he's playing with the ball in his hands, there is a real threat for Cody to be, a terror in transition and a guy who is consistently breaking down defenses by getting paint touches. I find that to be one of the most valuable traits for somebody who plays with the ball in their hands or just considers themselves an NBA caliber athlete, long and lean. And you can see the deception in some of how he moves fake dribble handoffs, things that translate to the half court, quick rip and go changing of speeds. I don't think he ever gets into his top gear on this one here. Uh, really fascinating where he's kind of probing, trying to see he plays at different levels, high and low. And there it is again. Lane is open. Cody's going to be a threat to get there and dunk on people. So that live-bodied athleticism, first and foremost, is what stands out about a guy like him. He looks like an NBA athlete. He's got that same kind of gracefulness, yet explosion that his, his older brother Jalen does. Really fun player to watch 
with the ball in his hands. And another reason for that is he's a plus creator for others with the ball. Uh, 51 assists last year playing on the AAU circuit, which is a decent amount for a 6'10 guy. But a lot of the, the reads that he makes in the early early offense or in transition plays are great. Sees the hit aheads. Here's one off of a, a rebound, no dribbles, and he just fires up a strike in full court, hitting his man. He's going to be a plus connective player. Doesn't necessarily have to be you know, your stereotypical point guard or your number one option in order for his playmaking to pop. And I think that at the NBA level, if you put him in an up-tempo scheme, you put him in a, a situation where he's encouraged to rebound and run, those are traits that he's going to be able to show consistently. I, I wish Colorado would do the same thing with them. I'm hoping that they will where, you know, he's not just deferring to letting KJ Simpson bring the ball up every single time. He should be finding that marginal advantage in the full court. And we'll see different reasons why. I mean, again, advanced passes where he's hitting ahead off of a free throw and a defensive rebound. Here's one off of a made basket quickly inbound to him one dribble and he's hitting somebody streaking up for a lap. I think Eddie Lampkin is going to live on a steady diet of those fast break or, or rim running layups this year. Really fun passer with both hands. That's a left hand zip one going to the corner across his body. But as we get to the half court, it's more so just, getting into the lane athletically and making the right decision and play when he gets there. He didn't have a ton of pick and roll reps or show this unbelievable polish as a creator playing at different speeds or really manipulating the defense, but he is at the very least a capable passer, someone who has shown that he can do it with both hands and willing when he gets into the lane, when he draws two to just make the right kick. So there's going to be a lot of corner kicks when he gets into the lane again. Natural athleticism off of dribble handoffs gets him there. One, two feet in the lane, strong side kick to the corner of the right read. This pass was probably my favorite of his. Again, that kind of overhead uh, skip pass going out to the corner, a really nice find on his part. So there's a lot to like about the combination of athleticism and playmaking to say that when Cody gets into the lane, he's going to be a positive playmaker. But as we'll see here, He's not a guy who stretches defenses really consistently. I, I would describe his shooting touch as having upside, but not being refined enough yet. And you'll see a couple of mechanical tweaks that I even suggest in some of the videos and, and we'll go over here. But I think the best way to utilize Cody is to try to get him the ball on the move in the half court to a, an opportunity where he can collapse defenses and live in the lane. And that's why, having a front court shooting partner like Tristan De Silva, who will play kind of the four next to Cody playing what I would think is kind of a hybrid three or a wing position. Just those two guys on the wings are a really important combo in duo. Cody, if he's going to play with the ball in his hands at this level or the next needs to improve as a pull-up shooter. I got the stats pulled up for me right here. Five of 34, just 14.7% on dribble pull-up jumpers in the AAU circuit this past year. Not a very good number. And to me, it comes down to kind of footwork and base and just overall confidence in his shot in some regards. You can see just a little bit slower, kind of mechanically, mechanically clunky in a couple of ways. Doesn't always seem to have his feet fully set beneath him. Uh, it's, it's a shot that doesn't look terrible in terms of its fluidity and its promise. I think his guide hand might get involved a little bit too much. And you'll see that on this clip here in transition, like there are 
couple things to clean up with his release and with his base, but there's not a ton of confidence with it. And you can see in late clock situations or times when he's trying to go one-on-one and separate, it's just not a very polished arsenal right now. Here's one where he catches in the deep left corner. Like this is a very awkward and weird kind of one-legged step back, which is built a little bit more off of desperation than anything else. So a lot of refinement that's going to go into making him, a positive jump shooter. And the same thing goes off the catch. You know, I'll rewind this clip and kind of start with this segment. I I think the poor base is what leads to most of the results. You'll see times where his guide hand comes into play. He tries to have that thing very straight arm. Like I've seen a couple guys who are super focused on almost like they're extending their fingers as high as they can to keep their guide hand super straight. But a lot of times when he does that, his thumb either gets in the way or he's so hell-bent on doing that that he doesn't have enough control with his right hand, and the shot tends to vacillate a little bit in terms of left to right. But for me, the base is a little bit more concerning because a strong base is what really makes a a really good pull-up shooter, somebody who can stop their momentum, get their legs beneath them, the consistency with which they, they get themselves set is really what dictates their percentages more so than their release in different regards. So as I'm watching Cody, a lot of things that I notice is that he doesn't always have his feet set and he doesn't get them set in the most consistent ways. Sometimes he hops, sometimes he one twos. Other times there's, there's one with his guide hand getting in the way there. Uh, Other times it's just very much momentum moving away from the basket, which makes it really hard to get a same consistent shot as a shooter. So, You'll see in a lot of these clips, he tends to miss short a lot of the time because he doesn't have his feet set beneath him. And this is one that I really wanted to to rewind and watch here. He catches the ball on the left wing and is a right-handed guy. I tend to think that you want to start a step back from the three-point line so that when the pass comes to you, you're moving into it. Your momentum is carrying you to the rim. And I like to be more of a one-two shooter. If that's who he's going to be, because I don't think that the base is consistent enough and and he hasn't shown that he wants to be a hop shooter most of the time, he needs to catch this ball on his left foot and actually have his right foot almost staggered and starting behind him so that when he catches it, he's bringing his momentum and his lead foot towards the basket. Start with your left forward and move into the ball, right foot forward into your release. As you see on this one, he keeps his right foot planted and he basically moves his left foot back to the three-point line to get it it set. And I think that that kills your momentum. It takes you away from the basket. You know, he's skinny. He needs to add strength. Like, the he does dip the ball pretty low on a lot of occasions, but he can offset the need for that strength from his base by just having a more consistent base and actually moving forward towards the basketball. So a lot of these smaller things where he's in a one, two step left, right and fire is going to really allow him to be a positive shooter. And that's where I see optimism. The numbers aren't very strong right now, but in the times and the evidence where we've noticed where he can go left, right into his shot, he gets his feet staggered and beneath him. He's not standing at what we call towing the three-point line. So he's got room to, to move into it off the catch. The shooting actually doesn't look too terrible. It's somewhat fluid. He's got a decent release. Like there's a lot to work with in that regard. So, you know, I am I am optimistic for the shooting when it comes to Cody Williams and think that he's going to have uh, a lot of potential to fill into becoming a solid off-ball player at the NBA level. He's a smart cutter 
incredible finisher near the basket and a good connective playmaker. I haven't seen enough evidence of him being, you know, this really strong pick and roll handler yet, but my God, there's a lot to really work with uh, from his natural tools. If he can just refine the shooting a little bit more, be up to league average, crawl about that 30% mark. I think that's a pretty good spot for him to be. The pull-up shooting is probably going to take a little bit longer. A lot of that is touch, and you know, I, th- I think the easiest thing to do is to add the catch-and-shoot stuff first. So for all of those reasons, like Cody hasn't been a guy I am as high on as some others. I see the tools. I see the potential. But I think that there's a lot of work on the offensive end of the floor that needs to be done in the half court in order for him to harness both an on-ball and an off-ball role. Right, that off-ball role, obviously, catch-and-shoot ability is a huge part of that in the modern NBA, and we've seen that there's mechanical tweaks that need to happen. Uh, He was 15 of 76 on catch-and-shoot threes during the last AAU season. That's under 20% on catch-and-shoot three-pointers. So a lot of work needs to be done in order for him to be a competent off-ball player. And if he's going to offset that by being really good with the ball in his hands – I just think we're going to need to see a hell of a lot more shiftiness, changing of speeds, ability to create his own off the bounce. He kind of lives at the rim right now, and that's about it. I always worry about the NBA transition of guys who are so athletic that they've just kind of gotten by on their natural ability to blitz people off the bounce and put pressure on the rim. That may change when you get to the NBA level, and you've got to be really special and really dynamic at changing speeds if you're going to play that role in the league, particularly as a young player, without having the uh, dribble jumper and kind of one-on-one creation arsenal to really complement that. So Cody is a guy who I have earmarked right now for the middle to late part of the first round, and that's a very early season projection here. I think that there's plenty of room for him to grow into that top 10 guy. If he fixes a couple of those smaller things, the numbers shooting-wise look better and the the mechanics behind them are reliable and consistent. So uh, again, this is an early season projection, but kind of how I tend to be as an evaluator. Like I believe in the eye test a lot. I believe in show me things first, and then I am going to move you up the board. I think it's pretty unfair at times to start somebody really, really high with preseason expectations based on how they've performed with Team USA, how they're ranked based on their athleticism at younger levels and then know that the skill portion needs to pick up. Like, I think he has a ways to go to become skilled enough for an NBA player. Here's where I don't know what to do with a guy like Cody, because inevitably in this conversation, his older brother Jalen is going to be brought up. We have seen an unbelievable transformation in Jalen's body, first and foremost, to become super strong and physical while maintaining some of that grace and athleticism. We've seen Jalen continue to improve his guard skills, play with the ball in his hands. We've seen him year over year get better as a shooter and become a really reliable guy off ball as well as on ball. And that culminated in his final year at Santa Clara before heading to the Oklahoma City Thunder. But he's still on that upward trajectory. It's really it's really tough because I think that can be an unfair comparison for some players when a relative, a family member lives and works on a certain trajectory, we automatically assume that uh, that Cody is going to be able to, to capture much of the same. And that can set a false ceiling of expectations. On the flip side, 
there's something about this family that they're, they're really good people. They're really humble. They work hard in a ton of different ways. There's a lot of reason for optimism with a guy like Cody and guys who are six, nine or six, 10 with his level of athleticism and burst with some playmaking skill, they don't grow on trees. And if you're looking for a guy to continue to develop and invest in, in that middle part of the first round, if not earlier, then yeah, Cody checks a lot of the boxes for what you typically look for. And the fact that he has an older brother who's already made a successful transition to the NBA should be a positive for him in showing that he's got a lot of those other characteristics that might be able to, to make him last and continue to improve in the league. So really fascinating. Like, I don't love anchoring bias. I don't love having a guy really, really high early on in the cycle and feeling I have to justify that time and time and time again. Uh, so I'm going to remain a little bit more cautious on where we have Cody in the beginning of, of the season here. I'll just share, you know, still workshopping my initial big board. Probably will be somewhere in the 15 to 25 range when things come out for me. So that's Cody Williams kind of in a nutshell. A lot of defensive upside and potential. I wanted to talk more about the offense and the offensive fit because I find it really fascinating how he's going to be deployed and what Tad Boyle does on the offensive end with this Buffalo's team. We had a question. I know we're asking for a ton of questions. We'll do the mailbag stuff later. But Kellen, at Kellen Johnson 77 asked us on Twitter specifically about kind of K.J. Simpson and his role with this year. So the question from Kellen. Does the continued development of Tristan De Silva and the addition of Cody Williams put a cap on the potential of someone like KJ Simpson, or does it increase his potential due to having less defensive focus on him? That's the million dollar question. That's what's going to be, you know, what remains to be seen as we enter the season here. I would love for KJ Simpson to have an explosion of a season. He's a really fun player to watch. I don't know how much I love him as a pro prospect. Undersized guards are just guys that I'm I'm really pushing aside for right now for a ton of different reasons. And if you want to read or, or hear more about that, just go check out my sub stack on the box and one. I've written about that a lot over the past week with the Ty Ty Washington uh, waving from the Oklahoma City Thunder. So I think Simpson is the right type of player to thrive off of Cody. But I, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch how Tad Boyle uses all these guys in conjunction with each other. There is another upperclassman, though, who I'm really high on. It's Tristan De Silva, just a, a fun and fascinating player. I did a breakdown on him earlier in the summer as one of the upperclassmen kind of forwards or wings who I'm most fascinated by because he shoots the ball really effectively, as I mentioned earlier, over 39% from three on really good volume last year. He's got a high release but there's this like funky defensive impact athleticism, some like connective playmaking that he brings to the table. It's really fun. Uh, and, and he's an effective player, but I think funky is the word that I like to use to describe him because his movement patterns, his style is just a little bit off and unorthodox in ways that throw defenders for a loop really frequently. So let's dive into kind of the film of De Silva. I pulled some clips from the scouting videos that I did a little bit earlier this summer. So if you've seen those, this is going to feel a little bit redundant in some regard, but I think we got to start with the spot up shooting and particularly standing in the corners. De Silva 
looks like a guy who's very comfortable shooting and knowing that he may have to make his money as a three-point shooter. Uh, the little things go a long way, and I'm going to rewind this clip here from Cal and, and, and kind of show this one from the very beginning because it's the way that he knows how to rotate around dribble penetration that has me buying into his role a lot where, look, evaluating guys who play the four is very difficult for the modern NBA because you've got to be able to defend on the perimeter and either switch or play guys who are pretty athletic and quick, going to have those ball skills. You've got to be able to provide secondary rim protection traits and, and do a great job with your, your help defensive rotations. You also need to be able to space the floor effectively if you're not going to be more of a primary creator. And the way that De Silva plays as an off-ball floor spacer shows me that he really knows how to thrive in that role. So here's kind of a high ball screen, almost a spread formation. you got a backdoor cut coming through the lane. De Silva, number 23, standing in the, the bottom corner of your screen. Watch how he reads his man and how he's trying to help at the rim. At first, he starts to raise out of that corner as he sees Simpson go back to the right side. Simpson comes back to the left, and he puts his man in a really tough spot where if he helps uphill or tries to, to bluff towards the lane at this drive, De Silva just rotates down to the corner. It's a textbook relocation when your defender turns your back to you. He's a smart cutter in a lot of different ways too. You'll see that here in the corner drive and kind of isolation taking place on the opposite side of the floor. He lifts out of the corner, finds that shot pocket for his teammate to pass the ball to him. Really, really smart play. But anytime you're going to be a four, and that's why I wanted to talk more positionally at the at the open here for De Silva, you might be involved in some pick and roll actions or some pick and pops from time to time. A lot of teams try to hide their worst uh, their worst defender, so to speak, their worst backcourt defender on a guy who tends to be more of a spot up option in the corners. So the counter to that is early in possessions go up and set a ball screen. It's like what the Dallas Mavericks do with Luka Doncic. They mismatch Hunt. So if De Silva is playing with other star players, he's probably going to be setting a couple of screens here and there, particularly if teams view him as a, a non-elite offensive threat and somebody that they can hide a defender on. So what I have struggled with with De Silva as a shooter is that I think he struggles when he's not perfectly set around the three-point line. There's like some small evidence of him actually hitting shots off of screens and Colorado ran some screen-to-screener stuff and baseline inbound situations last year that indicate he's pretty comfortable while he's moving to his right. But moving away from the basket tends to be a challenge for him. He doesn't have the quickest feet or the quickest release. So when he needs to be able to get that shot off quicker over the top of closeouts, he tends to fire them up sometimes before his feet are fully set underneath him, and you can see the results. couple misses there against UCLA. Here's a middle pick and pop where he tries to hop into that one rather quickly. Results don't necessarily go great for him. So just one of the smaller things to continue to watch this year, if De Silva speeds up his release a little bit more, if he's able to find ways to counteract some of this. But I mentioned the funkiness of his game. This is where it really comes in and, and why I think he's a super fun player. When he gets chased off of the line, 
and he's a believable shooter. So that's going to happen. Again, 39% and above this year. I believe he's somewhere in the 37 to 38 range for his multi-year career. He's going to get chased off the line. And this is just such a funky play. I'm going to rewind it here where, you know, pump fake ends up going past his man and he almost like hostage dribbles him from a non ball screen situation. Like he pump fakes and hostage dribbles to try to create space and get to the basket. Just really clever, high IQ play. Here he is coming off of a a screen stagger situation where uh, the shooter coming off the screen just Back cuts the first one. De Silva fills. Always say one high, one low when coming off of stagger screens. And as he comes off, his man is trailing behind and over the top of the screen. So what does he do? He recognizes, takes two bounces, gets into a, a really strong, strong base and stride stop into his finish. This is just textbook maneuvering two bounces, strong hop. He's got some evasion in traffic. Really nice set. Here he is coming off screens, pump fake, one dribble pull-ups going to his right is certainly there as well. So there is some funkiness to his game. Like he's not going to be a guy who only has catch and shoots in his arsenal. He can make some plays happen when he puts the ball on the floor for himself, for others. It's not going to be a staple of his game, but he is at least functional in attacking closeouts. Here's the fun part of his his collegiate game, which is the mid post scoring. Like he has this love for turnaround jumpers, and this ability to mismatch posts down low. Here's this really fun, like Dirk one-legged fadeaway that he's got in his arsenal. The touch is very, very real for him. And speaking of touch, he loves to shoot these little baby hook shots with his left hand, with his off hand, and a cool micro skill to really have. Ambidextrous play because he's at the four. If teams want to hide smaller players on them, he's very, very comfortable taking them into the low post operating near the blocks. I think that Tad Boyle can get creative with the offense this year and find ways to really play inside out through De Silva at different times and maybe even have Cody Williams as a cutter around him. Spacing is going to be really important in order for that to happen, but I think De Silva is just a good basketball player. You know, somebody who knocks down open shots, makes good decisions with it, competes on defense. He's a solid not a great, but a solid secondary rim protector and a guy who can make impactful plays on defense. Kind of this winning glue guy type of basketball mentality and frame. So I like Tristan De Silva a lot as a second round bet. If he can shoot 39% and above from three, again, it's going to be hard to really deny him from at least being close to first round ranges because, man, shooting the basketball at his position with his size and the fluidity that he does it with is a really, really valuable trait. Nobody is going to benefit more, though, from De Silva shooting the basketball than Cody Williams this year. Those two together on the wings, playing the three and the four, is incredibly important for Colorado, particularly knowing they've got a little bit more of an inside presence, a rim-bound big man in Eddie Lampkin, who's going to be helping clog up the lanes a little bit more. Boyle has to be creative with how he creates an open lane for Cody to be his best and for spacing to be putting De Silva in the low post so he can maximize parts of his mismatch arsenal. Like this Colorado team could be really fun and how they attack some mismatches in different players down there. So that's it really for the 
the video portion of the live stream here. I want to take questions. If you haven't been been asking them already, please, please, please throw some of them in the chat. I'll I'll throw them up here. But while you guys are thinking of some and, and putting those questions in there, I'm going to move on to Twitter for a quick second and look at a couple of the questions that we got on that format. Uh, K at Stroop Loops. That's an interesting name. Uh, asked about Elliot Cadeau and my expectations for him this year. I mean, look, I've I've talked about Cadeau a decent amount with Sam Vecini on the Game Theory podcast. I've written about smaller guards and undersized guys the last year or so. I think Cadeau is an awesome player. I really, really love the feel and, and the playmaking with him. I said earlier in the summer that I was going to be stupid high on Cadeau because I just love his feel. And like I think long-term I'm still going to be, but it, it just bears repeating how – hard it is for smaller guards to make it in today's NBA. And Cadeau is a shade over six feet tall. He's reclassed to move to North Carolina a year early, should still be in high school. And he's playing kind of with or behind a four-year starter in RJ Davis, who was one of the most prolific scorers in New York high school basketball history and a really good guard with the ball in his hands. I mean, Caleb Love was moved a little bit more to an off-ball role at times because of how good RJ was. I would imagine this is going to be RJ's team. So I don't know what to make of Elliot Cadeau as a freshman. I think he's probably going to be a multi-year college player as much as I love the playmaking with the ball in his hands. But I'm just not sold on smaller guys really being deserving of that one-and-done hype. When he does go to the NBA – I'll probably be decently high on him, um, maybe a, a few spots more than I should based on what the the litmus test is for smaller guards nowadays. Um, the bar is just so unbelievably high to clear to have an impact in the NBA at that position right now. That's not a knock on Cadeau. I think it just means pro potential is going to be really different. All right, a couple other questions here. Uh, Peace Love Basketball, Kerry Dunn 8. Shout out, Kerry. Uh, wants to know about Grant Williams' impact on the Dallas Mavericks. Yeah, really fun question. I've watched a lot of Grant Williams as a Celtics fan and somebody who used to write for Celtics blog for a number of years. Smart defensive player, willing to do all the dirty work and, and be kind of that team first player on the defensive end of the floor. Guards different positions smart with his rotations, strong bodied and able to guard up a little bit. I think that there can be some expectation of a Dorian Finney-Smith-like role. I think Grant is better switching at the point of attack than he is being a clean-up-the-mess-of-others guy, uh, not a really explosive shot blocker in a lot of different ways, but rarely misses a rotation. Great communicator that can help pick up for some of the slack of guys like Luka Doncic who might take a couple possessions off on that end of the floor. Uh, I would expect him to be somebody that the, the Mavericks start and lean on pretty heavily where I have always, not necessarily always over the last couple of years where I've started to have some frustrations with Grant's play is that I think he's a little unrealistic about what his role should be on the offensive end of the floor. At times he takes a couple shots that he necessarily shouldn't, He'll over-penetrate at times and try to be really crafty with the intent of making a play for himself or his team. But I think in Boston, when you had as much offensive firepower as the Celtics had, 
you would kind of scratch your head and be like, well, that's not necessarily needed from Grant right now. So I can see those frustrations popping up from time and time again in Dallas. I think they desperately need what he brings on the defensive end of the floor while being a competent floor spacer on offense. It's a really good fit. Uh, I like Grant Williams a hell of a lot as a, as a player, and he's a very selfless guy. He's just got to find ways to trim out those one or two plays where he's a little overambitious at times on the offensive end of the floor. Last Twitter question, and then we're coming to the YouTube chat and comments here. Again, throw a bunch of those questions in there. Uh, Finley Oliver asked a question right in my wheelhouse, and I'll read it to you guys in full before I go into the answer. I'm really having trouble assessing the value of Ethan or Izzy Almansa. He seems like a guy who would have been a generational talent early in the 2000s, but I have trouble picking him over a guy like Saar, who is so perfect for the modern game. Sell me on Almansa. Well, for those of you that don't know this, uh, Almansa is my number one rated prospect coming into the 2024 draft cycle. I am a massive fan of his, and the difference between him and Saar really just comes down to production. When you watch clips or highlights of guys, Alex Saar definitely passes the eye test. Really fluid, long, more explosive of a leaper and secondary rim protector. The shot looks better and farther along than a guy like Almanza right now. But Saar never really dominates games. Like he, He'll have moments where he kind of floats on by at, at times, and that's a knock on, on Saar that I've noticed from international tape as well as with OTE, all the talent in the world and a guy who's going to open the cycle in my top 10 without a question, but he's got to find ways to tap into his, his skill and his traits a little bit more consistently. I really like SAR, but man, you can't deny the production that Almanza has really put up MVPs of so many different levels of international competition going head to head with the best players in the world. He's a walking double, double his motor and energy are off the charts and I think his game does blend well into the modern NBA in more ways than people realize. You know, we look for really big, fluid athletes as wings and guys who can shoot the basketball. Those are the guys who blend that stereotype between the four and the five really well. Almansa is really smart as a basketball player, unbelievable playmaker for others in the high post and the low post, particularly off the short roll. He's got phenomenal touch, like all of these traits that we evaluate guards for or more playmaking wings. I think he's above average in almost all of them with touch, with feel around the basket, craftiness and footwork. And then you want to talk about the shot. SARS looks a hell of a lot better. Amonza shot 37.5% from three last year in OTE. He's made real strides as an athlete to become more explosive. He's really added that jump shot. He's got to do it on higher volume. I get that. But if, if your concern is about Almansa being the tweener of the four and the five, I often say that the difference between being a tweener and being multi-positional is just your level of impact across both spots. And I've seen enough where I believe Almansa is very impactful at both. I think he's an underrated defender. He's gotten more athletic. He does have some length to him. He rebounds really well. The guy he reminds me of is Pau Gasol. Doesn't have the sexiest game, not the most athletic guy, but makes the right basketball play nine and a half times out of 10, has real skill to his portfolio, and can play in a lot of different lineups as the four or the five. To me, that's who Almanza is and is going to be, and that's why he, he opens up this year 
as the top prospect on my draft board. So Finley Oliver, I hope I sold you on Izzy Almanza just a little bit. Uh, I'm, I'm really, really in on him. And I think that the, the data and the sample size we've already been able to collect of him being great in big games and consistent across the board is, is notable. All right, let's do it. Let's go to the YouTube chat here. The Frankster first question there asking about the Phoenix Suns and how they'll make the new big three work. Yeah, I, I think that this is actually a, a group that can work well together because all three have the ability to play on ball and off ball. In theory, I know rim pressure is something that's going to be a little bit lacking for the Phoenix Suns. Booker, Durant, and Bradley Beal tend to be more mid-range pull-up guys than they do at the rim. I'm not overly concerned about that. Uh, DeAndre Ayton as a roller has some real gravity that can help open up different things at the rim for them. I think Devin Booker is going to be what you consider your de facto point guard or, or lead initiator in a lot of actions. But to me, that term is overrated. That the whole reason the, the Suns are willing and able to move on from Chris Paul is because both Booker and Durant, they're so good with the ball in their hands that CP3 kind of became redundant. Like you don't need that floor general who organizes and does everything when you've got two other guys who are so impactful at playing and, and mismatching in different ways. So I believe that Phoenix's offense is going to be really, really strong this year. Their hodgepodge of role players has to sort itself out and they'll find the right rotations for balance on offense and defense. But I am I'm quite high on the Phoenix Suns in the Western Conference and the bloodbath that that conference is right now. Grady Cox, uh, you'd asked about NBA comparisons for the two guys we broke down film on tonight, Cody Williams and Tristan DeSilva. This is me being a cop-out guy right now. I don't believe that much in NBA comparisons. I know how hypocritical that sounds after just giving something on Izzy Almanza and comparing him to Pau Gasol in some regard. Uh, I can compartmentalize a lot of that stuff in my mind and say like the Kevin O'Connor, he's got shades of this guy, or I can see him thriving in a role akin to what this player is doing in the NBA. But I oftentimes think that when we compare guys to people, it, it sets up kind of a, a false ceiling and makes it really hard for them to, to live up to that hype. So I am at this point in time trying to, at least with Cody, really appreciate the unique player that he is as a jumbo, like potential initiator, really hyper-athletic guy who's got to develop the jump shot a little bit more. And until that jumper goes around and we see what role he's most comfortable in on a really competitive court, I don't really know what the best comparison point is going to be for him. De Silva, that might be a little bit easier because – you know, we've seen him play over the course of multiple years in college basketball, and we know that those guys uh, who shoot the ball at his position do find a home someday in the NBA and, and bring some decent impact. I don't know if I have a great like one-on-one -on -one comparison point for a guy like him. I think there's a little bit of like a Jake LaRavia-ish vibe that he brings to the table. Uh, LaRavia is probably a little bit better at moving around screens, but like neither of them thrive based on their athleticism necessarily. Uh, both of them are pretty skill and, and shooting dependent and high IQ basketball players who kind of luck their way into defensive productivity. So 
Uh, that's kind of a best case scenario again for Tristan. And I think that unfairly sets up a first round ceiling, which is why I don't love doing comparisons, but Grady for you, I just went ahead and did it. So, um, you know, call me a hypocrite, call me what you will. YouTube user, shout out YouTube user. Thank you for all the support and for always tuning into our channel here. Pistons fan wants to talk about how either of these guys would be a good fit for Detroit. Uh, YouTube user thinks that they could use another defensive three or four who can shoot and block shots. I totally agree with that. I, I think the NBA is trending towards bigger wings needing to play either multiple of them at a time, or you need to have one as your secondary rim protector. Drop coverage, just as my opinion here, where I'm projecting the NBA is going, drop coverage is going to go away a little bit. We're not going to see as much of it because guards and schemes from, from NBA teams are just too damn good at breaking those down. So if big men who play the five are going to have to guard on the perimeter a little bit more, show and recover, switch on screens, you need fours and you need guys who are going to be able to protect the rim from the weak side. Detroit doesn't necessarily have that on their roster right now. Uh, I'm not the world's biggest Isaiah Stewart fan. He's definitely a long-term rotation guy in the NBA, but I don't know if he fits that mold really well. Yes, Detroit could use that type of player. There's potential for Cody Williams to become that, but man, would I be really hesitant about adding a questionable shooter. I don't want to call Cody a non-shooter, a questionable shooter into the, the fold with Asar Thompson, Jaden Ivey, and Cade Cunningham already. I think this, this roster has to be built, at least in, in theory right now, with trying to maximize what the three of them can do together with Jalen Duran as your, your five-man and more of a, an interior presence. Like three-point shooting, three-point shooting, three-point shooting. You can kind of figure out how to construct the defense around your personnel and make it work as those guys continue to mature. Uh, De Silva could be a really good fit, but to me would be more of a bench guy in that kind of Isaiah Livers type of mold. Like I think Livers is more of a true wing than De Silva, but yeah, he could be a solid fit down the line for Detroit and the Pistons. Last question of the day here, Kellen Johnson circling back to the Colorado Buffaloes, which is where we are going to close. How beneficial is Tad Boyle's role within USA basketball? to recruiting. I don't know if there's a definitive answer to this, Kellen, but it's something I think about a hell of a lot, not just for the clout that comes with saying that you have worked with USA basketball. You were chosen to be either a head coach as uh, Tad was for, I believe the U 19s this cycle, but uh, even as an assistant coach, it means a lot to work with those teams. Like you, you better believe that Mark few being up with, uh, with the, the FIBA team right now it is going a long way in helping the clout that Gonzaga has on the recruiting trail. But I tend to think of it being really beneficial for relationships for guys. Basketball is first and foremost, a relationship business and you need to put yourself out there as a coach at different camps, at different events, trying to get face time with these guys in order to get them to invest in your program. Uh, the most success I ever had in recruiting was getting guys who I ended up coaching over the course of the summers or, or different times. You know, when I was at Dickinson college, uh, my first year recruiting class there, we brought in two guys who I had coached before out of the, the five that we brought on. Now, one of them I'd coached at a, a summer camp and event and had a really good experience with him when he was younger and he remembered me and 
probably should have gone to a better school than what we could offer. But that relationship, you know, counted for something. There was another kid there who came from a high school I used to coach at. I recruited him to go there when he was in eighth grade. Those relationships is the standard in, in how the recruiting works in the world. So for Tad Boyle, this is just another chance for him to get to get his name out there to develop some relationships with really talented players. And who knows, maybe a year or two from now, Colorado keeps doing well with incoming freshmen. And, and, you know, it seems like that their athletic department wants to be really strong athletically. Now, this is going to be more about transfer portal destinations than anything else that his experience coaching a lot of these teams and getting to know these young players could make Colorado a really strong transfer destination. I think it's very, very smart by Boyle to focus on going to, to the guys who are maybe a little bit older and not necessarily only high school guys. Uh, there's opportunity for that with the way that the transfer portal is really built right now. So that's it for us here tonight. I've talked for 50 minutes and I haven't taken a sip of water, which is very rare for me because I tend to uh, get parsed pretty quickly here. But thank you all for for joining us here on the live stream or checking us out on YouTube. Please rate, review, subscribe, do all of those different things for our podcast, our YouTube channel, and then Substack, theboxin1.substack.com. It's been a pleasure talking about these two young players in the front court for the Colorado Buffaloes. Really fascinating team to watch. I think they're an NCAA tournament team this year with a lot of talent and one of the most underrated coaches in the country in Tad Boyle. Hoopaholics, thanks so much for joining. We'll see you next time.